Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Exodus 19. Grab your Bible, go to Exodus 19. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you, okay? We want you to have a Bible. We want you to read that Bible because we believe that the Word of God is living and active. It is powerful. It is profitable. And I promise you, if you get in the Word, it'll get in you and it will change your life. Can I get a witness out there? All right, good. So, we're asking ourselves this question in the book of Exodus. What is the church? What is the church? That's what we've been doing in this whole book. Remember that in the book of Exodus, we're given a picture of what God is doing throughout redemptive history and ultimately in His church as He's building a people for Himself. So, what is the church? When we look at Exodus chapter 1 all the way through chapter 14, we see that his church is a redeemed people, that they have been set free from the house of slavery by the blood of a sacrificial Passover lamb, and God showed his arm in power as he redeemed them and put down their enemies uh, in Egypt once and for all and forever. So a redeemed people. In Exodus chapter 15, they come through the Red Sea and they sing the first corporate song, the song of Moses. And that song is mentioned over a hundred times throughout the Bible. A very powerful song that the church is a people of worship. And then in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 27, God is moving His people, and we are a people of progress. That we are not meant to be a stagnant people, but we are meant to be a progressing people. Next, we learn that in 16, we learn that we are a dependent people. And Pastor Ken preached a sermon on the manna and the quail and how God provided for His people as they depended on Him. 17, Exodus 17, we are a thirsty people. There's the story of Moses striking the rock and how he struck the rock with the staff of God's judgment and water flowed freely that kept them alive. And there in that story, we're given a picture of Christ, that Christ in Exodus chapter 16, he is the bread of life. And in 17, he is the living water that satisfies the thirsty soul. Are you with me, church family? In chapter 17, we see how they go up on the mountain, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, and Israel under the the leadership of Joshua in the valley defeats the army of Amalek. And 
they defeat the army. And we learn that we are not only a unified people that God calls us to lift each other up, but we learn that there is an old man in each one of us, our flesh, that needs to be put to death day after day. And that flesh, as it's put to death, gives birth to a new man. I read in Romans this morning that since I have been buried with Christ in baptism, that I'm raised to walk in newness of life. Isn't that good news? That I'm no longer enslaved to that which I have died to. But now, I don't have to be enslaved to an old evil master, but I get to serve as a slave of King Jesus. He is my king, he is my father, and I am his servant. Isn't that good? The church is a unified people. Exodus 18, we are an organized people. An organized people that God didn't just throw them out there in the wilderness and haphazardly say, figure it out. But rather, He organized them very intentionally and said to Moses through the father-in-law Jethro, it's not good for you to do this alone. It's not good for you to do this alone. Organize in such a way, and if we will organize rightly, then God's mission will be successful through His church. And then in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, we are a people on mission. It says that we are, if we will obey Him and keep His covenant, that we would be a treasured possession of of God Most High. Isn't that an encouragement? A treasured possession. That word possession is not like lands or homes, but that word possession is more something that you can carry with you as you go. It was a movable possession. And that's the way that God sees us. That we are not a possession that God plants in one place, but rather we are a possession that God carries with Him and we move with Him. We are movable and we are useful on mission as we go with Him. We are people on mission, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests. You are a kingdom of priests. And you go, not me, pastor. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through, Ryan. You don't know what the thought's in my head. And I say, even you, brother or sister, it doesn't matter what you've gone through, what your past is, God has redeemed you and now has put his gospel inside of you and desires to use you as a priest. A priest has no power to forgive, but only conveys the forgiveness of God to the people. And that's what we are to do. We preach the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and the Gentile alike. Amen? And we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And then we see how this whole holy nation kind of plays out in the latter part of chapter 19 as we look to a consecrated people. In the story, in all of this redemption story in the book of Exodus, there is this ongoing temptation. Here it is, church family, don't miss this. There's an ongoing temptation in almost every story that we've gone through so far. And the ongoing temptation is to look backward toward Egypt from where we came. Whether that's personally the sin that God has redeemed me from, to look backward to those temptations and say, you know what? Life was pretty good back there. At least the meat pots were full and we, could, we had leeks and onions and all that stuff. And now I'm, all I'm eating is this darn bread that falls from heaven every day. 
We long for what we have left, what God has set us free from. We long for it. And I don't know if you know this, but churches, we can do this too. We can long for the days of the past. We can long for what we have left behind. The temptation to long for what we were, from, for, for what we had, and crave the creature comforts of slavery instead of walking with Jesus into the places that He wants us to walk into. But church family, the, the past is not where God's called us. And that's hard. Do you know that there are two things that Baptists don't like? Change and the same old thing. We just, we just, we just don't. He's not called us to go backward. But He calls us forward. He calls us to be His treasured possession, His kingdom of priests, His holy nation. God is moving His people forward toward the promised land and on mission. In chapter 18, God organizes His people for His mission, and if we continue to look backward, we will fail to organize according to the New Testament church and we, when we don't organize according to the New Testament church, we are tempted to the same things that they were tempted to, frustration and bitterness and grumbling and infighting and ultimately a fruitless, joyless existence of not walking with the Lord in the land of promise. But when we look to God, when we look at this story and we fix our eyes on what God is doing in this story, like, like, like the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, founder, and perfecter of our faith. When we fix our eyes on Him, God will walk us through the discomfort of this wilderness period that we live in into a future that He, by His good plan and hand, have prepared for us. Isn't that encouraging? What a a joy it will be if we walk with Him in the days ahead. So let me recap just the the 19, 1 to 6 real fast. God, in this moment, cemented this people as His nation. Israel is a holy nation, and they are now identified with God and His great mission. Remember, the Great Commission did not come in Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission came in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over it. The Great Commission, the mission that God's people would spread out across the world under the banner of Yahweh Creator God, is all the way from the beginning pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is the first gospel that we see. Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you a people so numerous that you're going to look up at the stars, and if you can count them, you can count your people. You're going to go to the the sand in the desert on the seashore, and you're going to look at all the sand and go, that's what my people are going to be like. I'm going to bless you like that. And he says, and through you, Abram, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Church family, how's that going to happen? His name is Jesus. 
And God's inviting His people into this. They had been redeemed. They had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It was settled. You know how settled it was? It was at the bottom of the Red Sea. It was that settled. Their redemption was final. They had been redeemed, and God had showed Himself powerful. But this if-then promise, look back at verse 5. Chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples. Do you see the if and then the then? The then is implied, but the if is not. If you'll do this, then you'll be this. Now, we're not talking about redemption. That's already happened. Listen, church family, there is a difference for us from being saved. Salvation is not the end goal for you. If it were, God would save you and then kill you and you'd go be with Him in heaven. And some of us would be like, oh, that'd be okay right now, wouldn't it? It's not His end goal for you. Uh, His end goal for us is sanctification, that we would be more like Him and that we would join Him in what He is doing. And that is the if-then promise. Because there is a reward that we will gain, a crown that we will have that comes by grace through faith alone. We are saved by God's grace through the blood of Christ and that alone. We do not stand before Him on our own merit. He will not look at us and say, How, why should I let you into heaven? And we'll give Him a, a list of reasons why what we've done. That's not the way it works. We'll stand before God. He'll say, why should I let you into heaven? And we'll say, it's because of Jesus. He did it. But there is a blessing and a reward and a joy and a hope and a future and a promise that we will miss out on if we do not walk with the Lord where He's going because God is a missional God. Are you with me? Have you ever thought about your life and gone, there's got to be much more than this? There is. There's so much more than we could ever imagine or fathom. He's redeemed His people. Now He's refining His people. He's redeemed them and He's called them to a mission. In Exodus chapter 19, He's going to make them fit for the mission at hand. All right, let's, let's read verse 7. So Moses came and called, that was my introduction, help us please. All right. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set, them before, set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken will do. Man, what a great response. I want that to be our response. That if God says go, we say yes, Lord. I would rather right now put our yes, Lord on the table and let him put it on the map. I would rather say, yes, Lord, right now, my yes is surrendered and submitted. I am yielded as a vessel before you, and then let him do whatever he wants to in my life and in yours. Yes, we'll do it. And Moses reported these words, the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 9, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you for, forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. What's he say? I'm coming on the third day. I'm going to speak to these people. And so you better get ready. Consecrate the people. 
consecrate the people. Now, here's the point that I want you to see. Before God could commission His people or execute His mission through His people, He called them to Himself. Do you remember when Jesus calls the, um, the, the disciples? Before He sends them out, it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, that He calls them to Himself. We often just glaze right over that verse and get right into verse 2 where He sends them out. But if we miss verse 1, we've missed it. Because before God is going to make you useful, He's going to call you to Himself. And this is exactly what He does. How do I know that's what He does? Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Isn't that exactly what God does with Moses? Moses, here's the plan that I'm going to accomplish through you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to redeem your past. I'm going to, I'm going to do such great things through you, Moses. But before I do, come up on this mountain and meet me. Come meet me. You don't yet know me. You think you know the God of Israel, but you don't yet know me. And so this is what we see. He called them to himself. In other words, before you can represent me, you need to know me intimately. You cannot speak of someone powerfully that you do not yet know personally. And that's exactly what God is saying. I want you to go and be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. I want you to be my treasured possession. But before I can send you out into the nations, you have to know who the pronoun my represents. Think about it. All through the book of Exodus thus far, the people of Israel as a whole have not known the Lord. They've seen him work, but they have not heard him speak. Think about that. Where has God's people, where have they heard Him speak? They haven't yet. And God says, before, before you can go out, you've got to come in. I'm going to send you out one day, but before I send you out, I'm going to draw you into Myself. I'm going to draw you in, I'm going to bring you up the mountain, I'm going to speak to you on the mountain, and so before you stand before Me, you better get ready. He says, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Moses experienced God's holiness on the mountain. What did God say? Yahweh said to Moses, take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. And do you see it in this passage? That's exactly what God says. He says, consecrate yourselves and set limits around this mountain. Because when I come on this mountain, the very ground that I come upon is going to become holy and you need to guard yourself from my holiness, lest my holiness break out against you, unless you, one of you touch my holiness, and then you've got to be stoned or shot. What an interesting passage. He says, he says before, before you can meet me, you've got to get ready. Moses, take off your shoes. Your shepherd's feet are stanky. Shepherds were not the cleanest of people, right? And, and that's what's so special about Moses' story and about the gospel Who's the, who's the gospel come to first in, in the book of Matthew and Luke? It comes to shepherds. Take off your shoes, Moses. Take off your shoes. Before God commissions His people to be a movable possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, He calls His people to the mountain to know Him personally and to experience His holiness. And can I just say, I want to challenge us that sometimes our personal public witness outside of these walls is weakened because our relationship with God is weak. 
Verse 9, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Consecrate them. So I've, I've got a, a couple quotes for us, a couple kind of definitions of this idea of consecrate. John Eldridge says, It's the fresh act of dedicating yourself or your home a relationship, a job, a, your sexuality, whatever it is, whatever needs God's grace, you dedicate it deliberately, deliberately and intentionally to Jesus, bringing it fully into His kingdom and under His rule. I'm going to use, I want to think about it like this. Consecrating myself is, is getting up every day and recognizing my need for forgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness, recognizing God's voice, and obeying God's voice. Then aligning myself with the priority of God's kingdom so that He can use me however He wants. So forgiveness, recognizing my need, accepting it. His word, submitting myself to it and obeying it. And then aligning myself with God's kingdom. So that he can use me as he desires. This is what he says. Four things. He says, consecrate yourselves. And then he says, let them, verse 10, let them wash their garments. And he says it again in verse 14. And they washed their garments. Let them wash their garments. This is a picture of salvation being washed and made clean in the blood of Jesus. But in other words, you have walked out of Egypt and you've carried some of Egypt out of, Israel, out of Egypt with you. And I need to wash that off of you i got to get the Egypt off of you. Think about it this way. It took, it took one moment for God to redeem His people out of Egypt. One moment God took His people out of Egypt. But it was 40 years that God took Egypt out of the people. That's our story. Let them wash their garments. I have redeemed you from your past, but now i got to get the past out of you. I've redeemed you from your sin, but now I've got to get the sin out of you. Consecrate yourselves. Wash your garments. I've set you free from slavery, but now there are little bitty chains in your life and in your heart, and I need to begin to cut those, those, those fetters in your life. You can't be a priest. I mean, if you've read the book of Leviticus, the priests had just crazy washing rituals, didn't they? They had to do this and purify themselves in this way. And they, they had to wash themselves like this. And they had to be sprinkled with the blood. And their clothes had to be washed a certain way. And they had to be sprinkled with blood. It, wash your garments. You want to be a kingdom of priests, you've got to be clean. You can't, you can't be a king. We can't be a kingdom of priests without changing our clothes. And some of us, we try to be a kingdom of priests while wearing the clothes of Egypt. What do you mean, Ryan? What I mean is the way that we act as a church, the way that we live as a church, the way that we speak as a church, is either chipping away at the, the message that we preach or validating the message that we preach. Our lifestyle bears witness to the gospel that we proclaim. And we either do it a service by the lifestyle that we live, or we do it a disservice. Churches 
can do the kingdom a great disservice by continually putting up with and even instigating sin. He says, consecrate yourselves, wash your clothes. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote. There's a quote by Gandhi. He said, I like your Jesus. No, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. For they are nothing like Christ. And that should hurt us. You know, the world is kind of mocking his church. And we're giving them, at times we give them all the fuel that they need. But what I love about the church in Acts chapter 2 is they were living in such a way that they had favor with all the people. Jews and Gentiles alike, Christians alike, they had favor with all the people. Why? Because they were living in such a way that they were so identified with Christ. Their salvation wasn't just a, a part of their life, but it changed their life. He says, set limits. Set limits. You need to understand, Israel, that I am holy. And you, a sinful person, cannot come into the holiness of God. Do you know what part of us, a part of our problem as a church or as churches is? Is that we have lost a sense of God's holiness. We have created a God in our image who looks like us. Instead of believing the God of the Bible. Our culture believes that God is love. Is God love? Yes. Is God only love? No. Because we can't know the love of God without the justice of God. We can't know the mercy of God without the wrath of God. We can't, we can't know what it means to be forgiven if we don't know that we've fallen short of His perfect righteousness. Church family, we have lost a sense of the awe of God's holiness. They came to this mountain and they were not just like, wow, this is going to be a great service, but they were terrified. Set limits. Know that I am holy and act accordingly. He says, verse 15, don't go near a woman. And what he's saying is, make a fast. Make a fast. Consecrate yourself. Don't even let the, the, something that you don't intend to happen to you. Set a fast to keep yourself from all holiness. Be above reproach. Don't, don't give in to that. In, in other words, let me bring this back and wrap this up. In other words, they recognized that they had to stand before God. And since they were going to stand before a holy God, there was stuff they had to get in order. What if God came back today? What if God called you to account today? What if He came to me and you and, and He laid out all of my deeds today? What if He did that today? What would there be in your life that you would say, I, I need to get that right before I stand before Him? 
we're going to stand before a holy God. As individuals, we're going to stand before a holy God. But not to hear from Him on the mountain. We're going to stand before Him in the courtroom of, of judgment. Now, by God's grace, we will be those who are called by Christ, those who are saved by His grace, we will be rescued and redeemed from judgment, but we will still give an account for all of our deeds. We're going to stand before a holy God. And so I just want to ask a few questions that I think are very important for us, that if we're going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people of His own treasured possession that we need to get these things right before we think about the mission. God's saying to us, consecrate yourselves. Before you come stand before me, consecrate yourself. What? God speak to people through these questions. What in your heart, in your life, is not aligned with God's heart? Now listen, it's really easy to think about those people over there. Let me tell you what they need to get right. I'm asking, what do you need to get right? What do I need to get right? What in your heart and life is not aligned with God's heart? What attitudes or actions are not in submission to God's Word. Attitudes and actions. Come, come all the way in. It's not just the things that we actually say. It's not just the things that we actually do. But your heart, your motivation, your intentions... What are those things that we need to get right? What sins do you need to be cleansed from? Some of us, we're smelling a little like Egypt. We need to wash our clothes. What sins? In, in the book of Exodus, we always see that the sins of a few affect, the sin, or affect all the people. Our private sins affect the corporate church. Always have, always will. What in our church? What in our church is not aligned with God's revealed word or God's kingdom priorities? Here's the good news. The good news is Jesus died to forgive us, to wash us. But there's a confession or a condition. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar and we make him out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, do you remember? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church family, I'm calling us today. 
This is one of those days where I wish all of our people were here. I'm calling us today to consecration, to confession. Since Jesus died to forgive you, since He did the hard work, He's he's not calling us to anything other than to a recognition of my need and to a receiving of His abundant grace. So what's it worth for you? What's it, church family, what's it worth for us? What's it worth to you for us to get right with God? We're going to have a time of, Miss Margaret, would you just come play quietly? We're just going to have a time of confession. And if you need to use these steps, please do. Pastor Ken, Pastor Samuel, Pastor Steve, Pastor Joe, would you just make yourselves kind of spread out, make yourselves available if people need you today? These are great men of God that are not on our staff that God has given to our church to help us grow in Christ's likeness. And man, these guys would love to pray for you. They're all sitting in a line right here. So would you all come and make yourselves available? If you want to come and pray with them and grab them, come grab them. If you just want to meet with the Lord, if you need to go to somebody, go grab somebody. Let's let's be right with God. Let's consecrate ourselves. For God is holy. And let's make us make ourselves, let Him make ourselves usable. Let's stand. You move as the Lord leads you. We're not singing right now. We're just moving. Father. Speak to our hearts. Purge us from sin. Discipline us, Lord. Create in us a clean heart. Search our hearts. Let the words of our heart or the mouth, let words of our mouth and meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You move as the Lord leads you.